We are going to be over in book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14, if you want to turn there or look up on the screen, whichever you prefer. Last week we finished up Balaam and Balak. We saw that the enemy cannot produce, if he cannot produce a curse upon you, if he can't pronounce one that sticks, he will try to lead you into one. That's why we need to know what our borders are. I got to know, I'm not supposed to go over there. I got to stay out of that one. Got to know your borders. If you don't know your borders, then you just go and you do whatever you want. You go and you think whatever you please, you say whatever you feel, and you do whatever you desire. Because that's what you feel. That's what you want. You, you don't see the borders. I don't see my faith as I can do all things through Christ. He strengthens me. And so the enemy often will taunt us and he'll say things like, come on, you know it. You know you want to say it. Come on. You're feeling it. <laughs> Just speak it. And we start, no, no, we, we fight it for a little bit, but then all of a sudden, I'm fed up. <laughs> I'm tired of this. I can't take it anymore. Right? We start saying these things. Why? I'm outside the realm of faith and I don't care. And see, the devil has just led me right on out there. He's taunted me. He has said all manner of things to get, come on, come on over here. Come on over here. You know you want to. <laughs> come on. You know you want to come over here. You know you want to do this. You'll feel better if you just say it. And then eventually we, we give in. And we say it. And we think it. And we do it just because I can. Faith without borders is really faith without purpose. It is lost and wandering. Well, that was from last week and I just want to remind you of those particular principles because we're going to take a look at a story that I was surprised when I looked this up in the last 14 years, actually all the years that I have records for, that we've written outlines for, I have only covered this story three times. And that goes beyond 14 years. But 14 years ago was one time we did it. We did it a couple of years ago. But uh, very seldom, it seems, do we do we spend a whole lot of time on this. And yet most people know this story. Most people who don't go to church know this story. But we're going to spend some time on this here today to look at it from the area of borders. Because have you ever been in a place where you think, I don't really know what my borders are? I don't know that God has ever said what my borders are for this thing. Have you ever felt that about something? You've been thinking about some areas of faith that you have and as we're getting on this topic of borders and you're thinking, I don't, I don't know if I have any borders over here. I mean, I'm just supposed to do what I can do. So we're going to take a look at a story in which it seems that Jesus did not state any borders at all and yet when they were violated, he failed. Can you think of what story that is? You probably have looked it up. Verse 22, let's take a look at this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. At this point, Jesus is extremely popular because not only does he teach us, not only does he heal us, not only does he cast out the demons, he also feeds us. Listen, what more can you ask for a king? Right? They feed us. They heal us. 
kind of what we're looking for today. We want a, we want a king who takes care of all of our health care. Make sure that we have a job. Make sure that everything that we want, we can get. And um, that's kind of what they were looking for. And they saw this as Jesus. And Jesus said, this is not the kind of king I'm going to be for you, so you all get out of here. So immediately after the feeding of the 5,000 is done, if you just fed a crowd of 5,000 men, their wives and kids, if you just fed that entire crowd, no one else had ever fed a crowd like this before in this manner. Of course, God did in the wilderness when he fed the children of Israel. But nobody had done this in this manner. If you just had done it, how many of you want to bask in the, in the, you know, the, the glory of such an event? Man, this was awesome. This was just so, wow. Just kind of hang around here for a little bit, but Jesus does not immediately, which means to do something without any delays, distraction, or detours. To do something without any delays, distractions, or detours. Now, if you know the story, you know that these folks are going to get in the boat and sit on the water for a long time. What's the hurry? I mean, if you were going to go somewhere on a trip and you knew there was a really big traffic jam, are you in a hurry? You're going to sit in the traffic for a while. I don't want to hurry up about it. So immediately Jesus made his disciples. Now that word there for made, I wrote it out for you in case you don't want to look it up sometime. But it's a compound word. It's made from Anna up and, and the word for arm. It's made of a up and arm. It basically means a raised arm. When you see a raised arm, what are you thinking? A little bit of force involved with this thing here. And that's exactly what the word means. It means to force, compel, or to constrain. Now, looking at other times that this is used in the New Testament, it's not used of someone saying, you will drink this water. So it is, he's, he's not doing that. He's not, uh, you know, uh, uh, do this or break it. No, it's not a force thing like that, but it is a very strong compulsion to uh, to do this. There's a number of times that it's used. Paul uses this word in the, new, in the uh, epistles, but we see it a number of different times. But he compels them. He says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So the idea here, the purpose here is for them to get to the other side before Jesus does. That's why he wants them to go. You guys go, get to the other side, make some preparations maybe, whatever it was. While he sent the multitudes away. Now he is making them go. He is compelling them. But it just means, you know, he says, all right, y'all dismissed. That's all he says to the crowd. You know, like when we have the end of the service here, you know, we'll kind of dismiss everybody and, and we don't force anybody to leave. And y'all, y'all stick around for a while anyway, which is good. We don't, we don't mind that at all. But, um, he just kind of dismissed the crowd, but he made his disciples get in the boat. And when he had sent the multitudes away, in other words, he dismissed them. And so after they had been sent away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. Now, the word there for evening gives us a time of day. It is late afternoon, early evening, or nightfall. That is what the evening means. So, he has already sent the disciples out on the boat. They are already on the water. He has dismissed the crowd. He has made his way up the mountain. And he has set himself out to pray. And then when evening had come... 
So we don't know exactly how much time has transpired, but for whatever time it is, the disciples have been on the boat and rowing. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now again, this gives us time. It is the fourth watch. By this point, Israel had adopted the Roman night watches. The first night watch started at 6 p.m. and went until 9. The second night watch went from 9 p.m. and went until 12. The third night watch went from midnight until 3 a.m. The fourth night watch, which is the last watch, went from 3 a.m. until 6 a.m. in the morning. So now you know that sometime from late afternoon until between 3 and 6 o'clock in the evening, the disciples have been on the water battling the wind and the waves. And Jesus has been praying. It also says that the boat was now in the middle of the sea. It is not close to a shore. When Jesus walks on the water, he does not walk because there is shallow stuff there. They're on the middle. At the time he's looking at them, they're in the middle. Now they continue to make progress and go to the other side. When Jesus sees this, he gets on the water, he walks towards them. So they're probably somewhere around two-thirds of the way. Two-thirds of the way there. You could probably, you know, guesstimate somewhere around there. They're, they're probably no longer in the middle of the, the thing, but they're not quite to the other side. So this is the, the fourth watch. This is all going on. So the boat's in the middle of the sea. They're there battling the waves. They're, the boat is actually tossed. These waves are big enough that this boat is being tossed by the waves up and down. All sorts of stuff like that for the wind was contrary. Get in, haven't ever been in a little boat. I have not been in a little boat that was tossed to and fro. I've been in a boat on the water where there's, you know, normal waves, but not one that's being tossed to and fro. I don't know what that would be like. But that's what they were doing. Most of these guys, or at least some of these guys were fishermen. So the boat was still in the water, tossed by the waves, fourth watch of the sea. Jesus went to them walking on the sea. He went to them walking on the sea. Now the original plan was for the disciples to get there before Jesus. So this seems to be a change of plan. So I don't think that Jesus put them on the water thinking they're going to be on the water battling the storm. Maybe it was like it was before and spiritual forces came up and said, hey, we're going to keep these guys out. We're going to try and kill them, whatever it might be. Didn't seem like they were in, their lives were in peril like it was before when they were in the, in the sea and Jesus was sleeping on the boat. But Jesus went to them. But look at this right here. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Walking on the sea. This word there is peripatato. You can probably remember remember that real, real good. It sounds like potato. Potato, potato. I'll give it to you in a way that you can remember. But the word there, peri, means around. And pateo means to walk. It's a normal word for walk. When you pair the two together, it is it means to walk around in an area. So this word was used by Paul when he was talking about walking, keeping your walk within a certain area. Walking by the flesh, walking in the spirit, things like that. Keep your walk in an area of the spirit. Some people keep their walk in an area of the flesh. 
They have a flesh walk. You would use this word to describe it because their walk is demonstrating their their flesh or demonstrating their spirit their spirit inside. You'll see one or the other. Paul often uses it like that. There are some other ways that this is is talked about. Another one is if you are given a certain area that you are to walk in and you stay walking in that area. If you are a guard, you have a certain area that you're supposed to walk and you would walk around that area. And so we would put that word peri in front of it. One of the other things that you would do with this word and one of the other ways that we've seen this used is this word has a degree of proof to it. That when you don't just use the normal word for walking, but you use the word with peri in front of it, you are talking about a walk that has a proof involved. Remember when Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and peripateo. In other words, walk in such a way as to prove what's going on. When the disciples came up to the lame man at the gate and they said he was walking about, they used this same word in there to show that he was showing, I am no longer lame. When the disciples of John came to Jesus and said, John is asking, are you he? And Jesus said to him, go to him and tell him these things. And among the list that he gave, he said, tell him that the lame walk. And he uses this particular word, peripateo, which means, or it has a little bit of a proof to it, that there is a, a, a something signified by the walking. Tell, tell him that the lame are walking. And that should be a test. That should be a, a proof of some of these things for him. So when Jesus is walking to them on the sea, it uses this particular word. In fact, this word is used all through this passage. It carries the idea of proving something in the walk. Verse 26, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. It is a ghost. We don't really hear too many people in the Word of God seeing ghosts. You know, people today see ghosts and, and don't be, uh, don't be fretting any about any, any ghost. Sometimes people think and they get convinced that if we see a ghost, it is that person that we're seeing. And then sometimes they tell us things on the future, tell us things on the past. And, but understand this, when our relatives die, and our loved ones, the people that we care about when they die, they go to one of two places. If they go to the place the Word of God directs as down, they cannot leave. If they go to the place that most of us direct as up, they generally don't want to leave. <laughs> but we don't see that they have that opportunity to leave. Not saying that they don't know what's going on down here. I've heard from uh, people uh, I consider pretty, pretty good sources on this, that they are people that have died and gone on before us are aware of things in the spirit, not necessarily things in the flesh, but things in the spirit. If you go out and, and you know get a haircut, buy a new suit, dress, something like that, they're probably not going to be aware of those things. <laughs> but when you are, uh, when something changes on the inside of the spirit, something go, they seem to be aware. Remember, Hebrews says that we have a great cloud of witnesses that, that talks about them as being in the grandstands or they're cheering us on. How can they cheer you on if they don't know what's going on? So I'm pretty convinced from that part in the word and from what I've heard others say that the people that have gone on before, behind, uh, I'm sorry, before us are aware of what's going on down here. But you don't need any messages from them. You, you, you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. That's all that you need messages from. But there are people out there and they try and get you directed. 
into a place to think that. Remember, there's a place in the Word of God in which some, uh, a person called up a seance and they called someone from the dead and Samuel was called for Saul. And if that's ever a question for you, maybe one of these times we'll, we'll uh, delve into that. But we're not in that today. They said it is a ghost. So I was pondering this. Why do you think they they thought it was a ghost? Is it that Jesus was glowing? Was was he kind of transparent? I haven't seen any ghosts in in, in my day. Um, I, I used to be uh, kind of enamored with them, and think, oh man, that'd be kind of cool. And you know, I used to read some stories about some haunted places around the area here, and you know, maybe I'll go on out there and see what's going on. But then I found out what it was, and I said, ah, I don't need to go see those demon spirits. Because the Word of God tells us the demon spirits are familiar, or they call them familiar spirits. They're familiar with our people that went on before us. They're familiar with their lives. They can say things, they can do things to mimic that. And then they get people to believe it, and then whatever they say, they think that this is somebody supernatural, and somebody who cares for them, and they do the things that they say, or believe the things that they say. Don't do it. If you have a loved one, they went on to heaven, they're cheering you on. If they want someplace else, they can't. Don't fret it. You just keep going on, making the best out of what you got. I've got people that went on before. We all have people that went on before. But they said it is a ghost. It seemed to me that the reason they might think this was a ghost is the Word of God says that the boat was being tossed and it was affected by the winds and the waves. Is it possible that what they saw was someone walking on the water who was unaffected by the waves? How can that how can that be unaffected by the waves? I mean, first off, they've never seen a person walk on the water. As far as we know in the Word of God, this is the only time it's happened. But perhaps Jesus is not moved by the, the waves going up and down. I don't know how he accomplishes that. I wasn't there. And it doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. But it does say that he was walking. It uses this word, peripatao, which means to walk about circumspectly with an idea of proof in it. Now, there'd be some proof walking on that water. That'd be, uh, that would be something. I don't recommend just trying this on your own. But do you remember the story I told you before of a minister who was all geared up for the service? Coming out of the hotel room, just prayed up. He'd just been praying in the spirit. He was ready. He was on fire. He was ready to go. And as he was coming out of the, the, the hotel room, getting ready to go over to where they were having the service, he walked by a pool. And he thought. <laughs> well, he was wrong. <laughs> And I heard he had a call and uh, and said, I'm going to be a little bit late. <laughs> he had to go change. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he was excited. <laughs> they said it was a ghost. But immediately, immediately, and this is the same word we saw in the beginning of the passage, immediately, no time, no time went, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. So that must mean he was close enough to them that they could hear them in the wind with the wind and the waves. I'm not saying it's a full-blown storm because the Word of God never calls it a full-blown storm. It just talks about the wind and the waves. It may have been a full-blown storm. I'm not saying that it wasn't. I'm saying it didn't call it that. I don't want to call it that. 
and make you think something is not in the in the word. So I just don't, it's wind and waves. That's what we're told. And apparently it was enough to keep them on the water a lot longer than they anticipated being. He said, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus always seems to be getting people to stop being afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, I don't think that Peter gave him a whole lot of choice here. Lord, if it is you, in other words, prove that it's you by commanding me to come to you on the water. So what does Jesus do? Deny that it's him? And not, and not tell him? I don't know, Jesus probably could have just thrown out a third one and says, Peter, it's me, I'm not going to do that. He probably could have done that and he would have been okay. But Peter doesn't give him a whole lot of options here and he doesn't seem to, to go against it. He just, just goes on with it. He said, Lord, if it is you, command. Now that is the word to hail or to incite by word, like an order or a command. To hail or to incite by word, like an order or a command. In other words, I want you to order me. I want you to command me. I want you to right now, by your words, hail me to come out to where you are. So, what does Jesus do? He says, Peter. He didn't even say Peter. He just says one word. Come. So he said, come. That's it. Now, how many of you would like a little bit more instruction? I mean, no one's ever done this before. Maybe Jesus had in, you know, secret places we don't know about. But as far as Peter, I've never done this. Nobody on the boat here has ever done this. There's no book. A little bit of instruction might be good. How many would like a little bit of instruction? I mean, just something. Do I jump out of the boat? (laughs) Do I climb down the ladder? Do I dive in and then swim up to the surface? I mean, what am I supposed to do? I've never done this. Have you ever wished that God gave you a little bit more than he did? I mean, he gave you something, but you think, come on, give me a little bit more than that. I mean, come. Peter used more words than that asking the question. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus says, come, uses the exact same word come that Jesus said. Exact same one. In case you wanted to know, the, the Greek word is erchomai, which means come. That's basically what it means. So he says, uh, bid me to come. Jesus says, come. And it says, when Peter came down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. The word there, come down, means he kind of stepped down. There may have been a stool or, or some kind of a stairway. There was, there was, I don't know how something was there. He stepped onto it and then down lower and then just kind of stepped onto the water. Now, everything in you has got to be saying, this is not going to work. This is, this is not gonna work. Everything in you's gotta be saying that, don't it? 
He's been on the water a lot. Never has anyone walked on the water. If somebody goes into the water, they get wet. They go in the water. We don't go on the water, we go in the water. But he's so excited seeing Jesus walk on the water. He decides, I think I can do that. And it says he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And he uses the exact same Greek word we talked about. Peri, pateo. There's a little bit of proof. Well, isn't there some kind of a proof that what Jesus said worked? If he's there walking on the water, have we not just proved that this is Jesus? There's a little bit of proof going on with this this word and this usage here. He didn't just say he walked on the water. It said he peri, peri pateo on the water. So he steps down off the boat, didn't jump onto the water. What I, what little I know of Peter, I'm kind of thinking, man, he just, I would have just seen him jumping. Just jump from the boat right on down under the water. But he steps down on the, what must be a little bit more tentative about it. And he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So look at that verse again. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. Is it working? So whatever he is doing right now it was, is within the sphere of what he is supposed to do. He's walking on the water to come to Jesus. Because he said, if it is you, command me to come to you. He didn't just say, command me to walk on the water. He said, command me to come to you. So he's supposed to be going to Jesus. So it says right there, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. This is the direction he's going. This is what he has set out to do. That'd be great. But it didn't stop there. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. Well, how many of you can tell that from verse 29 to verse 30, he stepped outside of the borders of where he's supposed to be? Because when he starts, he's walking on the water. That means he is operating within the sphere of what works. And then somehow, he got off and what was working is not working anymore. Something interrupted it. I said we have our Facebook crowd back again. And it's kind of like that. Our Facebook feed was working. (laughs) It was operating within the sphere of what is required for the Facebook feed to work. But then something interrupted it. We don't know what. (laughs) But something interrupted it. And one of the parameters that it's requiring went away. We don't know what. It's not telling us what. It kind of just sits there and said, figure it out. <laughs> but I'm not happy. <laughs> and so the Facebook feed cut off. And then um, it's back on now. Because right now it's happy. And apparently we are operating within the sphere of what we have to do. But if somehow 
either with the internet connection or the camera or the iPad or the wires in between or maybe even the weather. I don't know. Maybe it just doesn't like what Ethel's thinking about it. That might be what's what's going. We don't know. But if if it steps outside of that, it cuts it off. And so... Peter is there. He's walking on the water. He is doing what he has to do. Go to Jesus. But then all of a sudden, he starts looking around at the waves. And he became afraid. Now, when Jesus first came to him, he said what? Be of good cheer. In other words, be happy. It's cool. It's me. It is I. And then he said, Be not afraid. Now most of us would get on Peter and say, Jesus just said not to be afraid. Why are you afraid? How many of you want to get on Peter for that? Don't do it. (laughs) Because how many times in the Word of God have you read, Do not be afraid. And yet you have woke up, Oh no. And we think of things that cause us to be afraid. But he said, be not afraid. What's Peter right now? He's afraid. We're only looking at minutes that have gone by here. We're not looking at a whole lot of time. We're just having a discussion. Jesus says, it is I. Don't be afraid. Peter says, if it is you, bid me to come to you. Jesus says, come. How long does it take to say all those words? It don't even take 60 seconds. And then Peter's just got to step on down. And he's on the water. And then he's walking. So we're, we're not even talking, you know, a minute, two minutes, maybe three minutes. This is all going on. From the time that Jesus said, do not be afraid, to the time that Peter starts being afraid. And if you think that that might be a record, look at your own life. I know. There have been times God said, don't be afraid. And it can still rise up on the inside. Still afraid. I, I reference him a, a good bit, but I, I love uh, Brother Rick Benner. If you want to have a, hear a good storyteller, uh, two of the best storytellers I know in my life are Brother Rick Renner and uh, Brother Kenneth Hagin. They tell, they're totally different storytellers. Completely different storytellers, but they've got good stories and I enjoy their stories. And what was going on? And I remember a story that um, that he told. I think he tells the story. The whole gives you the whole gamut of things in uh, the Point of No Return book. I think that book uh, by Brother Rick Renner has it in it. If you haven't read that book, it's a it's a good book to uh, to read. But he was uh, they were in a building, one of the building processes for one of the buildings that they had built, and they needed a certain amount of money to uh, to accomplish it. And if I remember correctly, this particular building. When they signed the lease on the land, part of the requirement was that they had to have it all built within a time frame of 10 months, 12 months, whatever it was, a, a small time frame. And if everything was not done at the end of that, it all reverted back to the government. Everything. Whatever you've done on the building, whatever you put into it, everything goes back to the government. Now, I mean, I can put some pressure on you. 
And so they were at a spot and they needed, uh, and I forget what the amount is, I think it was pretty close to like $200,000 they needed to get the next uh, section of this thing done. And they were away at dinner and he was lamenting the fact that, oh, we need $200,000 to his wife. And his wife, if you know Denise at all, she just, oh, Rick, <laughs> just going on. Anybody heard this story? He's, uh, oh, Rick. She says Ricky. She calls him Ricky. Oh, Ricky. And as we were sitting there at dinner, they got a phone call. And uh, the, the, the phone call was uh, from, from Brother Copeland. Brother Copeland to give him a call. And he says, hey, uh, Brother Rick, we were, uh, my wife and I, we were sitting here, we were praying, and God put on our hearts to send you $100,000. Just like that, $100,000. He says, glory to God, I can... I can see that. <laughs> so they said, "We'll we'll have that wired over to you." Um, um, just I just want to let you know it was coming. Now, how many of you would just be thrilled? Glory to God! We needed two hundred thousand dollars. We already just got half of it. He hangs up the phone, and he looks at his wife, and instead of uttering those words, he says, "Where are we going to get the other hundred thousand dollars?" <laughs> He was lamenting this for a little while. And um, the phone rings again. And this is uh, Brother Pearson. Hi, my wife and I were sitting here and we we're talking. I don't know if they were with the Copelands at the time, but they was, were sitting there talking. And uh, the Lord moved upon us to send you $100,000. Just want to let you know, it's coming. Glory to God. And so they were, they they were going, and you know, well, that one got done. That, I forgot the other thing was, but it came up to another time where they needed some money. Another deadline was coming up on this thing, and he just couldn't sleep at night. He just, you know, it's all welling up on the inside of him. He's looking at uh, losing everything that they had put into to this, and uh, so he just got up and he went down to his study, and he was down there praying and just you know, praying like a lot of people pray. Oh God! Oh, it's all coming apart! Oh, <laughs> no, that's how a lot of people pray. We just kind of wail and complain and. So he's down there praying, and he said his uh, one of his sons, I forget which one it was, but it was one of the younger ones, one of his sons came in to the office area and put his hand on his shoulder and said, Oh, Dad, hasn't God proved himself to you yet? Now, I'm not going to pick on, on Brother Rick for any of those things because he's taking on some big stuff and he's coming through, come out on the other side of it. And um, I haven't taken on anything that, that big. <laughs> I sure appreciate him sharing the stories of all that sort of stuff. I'll tell you what, no matter how much we've had going on, it, it, that fear is just waiting out there and it just wants us to pick it up. But don't do it. Don't, don't, don't pick up on that fear. So he was walking on the water. It was working. He was doing it. Can you imagine being in the process of doing something and then someone comes along along and says, you can't do that. I guess I can't. (sighs) But people have done that. I mean, people have, uh, God has healed them of something. 
and they're going around telling people the testimony, God healed me of this. Well, you can't really be completely healed of that, you know. What happens on the inside? Fear wants to come in. Because, oh, I guess, I guess it can't be. I mean, I don't know if it ever. We were walking on the water. And then we began to sink. Because somebody came along and made a comment. See, we got the, the wind. It's making a comment right now. Nuh-uh. You can't do that. The waves are talking to you. Hello, look at me. Don't be looking at no Jesus over there. I'm the one you got to deal with right now. <laughs> Why are moving back and forth? Now, how you walk on water with waves that are going up and down, I don't know. Do you go up with the, with the wave and then back down? That sounds cool. <laughs> I don't know about you. That, to me, that sounds cool. I kind of want to do it just for that effect. I want to wait until the waves are there. I want to go up and then I want to go down. That sounds really neat. You know, we go to amusement parks. I go to, I go on the rides that go fast. I don't care how fast it's going. As fast, faster is better. Fast is always better. If this goes 100, we can make it 120. Let's go 120. If we can make it 140. Let's go 100. Why are we slowing down? I love fast. I, I love high. If we can get so high, well, let's see if we can go higher. And when they build something that goes higher, I go out there and I go on it. I love high. I love fast. But I don't like round and round. I know my limits. I know my borders. And I'll go on any roller coaster no matter how high, no matter what it flutters over top of, no matter how many loop-de-loops it does. I don't care about that. But if you're going to put me on something and we go round and 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 round, I am not getting on that sucker. I will sit here. My granddaughter can beg and plead. Please, Papa, will you please go? No. No, you go on the roller coaster with me. No, round and round does not work for me. So I stay off the round and round ones. It's not that they're boring. It's just my my stomach does not like round and round. It don't matter if I ate two days ago or one hour ago. We do not do the round and round rides. My wife has greater endurance on round and round rides, so they go with her until her endurance is gone. That's all right. Her parents are young. They, they can go in the round and round rides. Whew. So I don't know if that's what you do. You go up and down or up and down. But whatever it was, it's probably doing the same thing that Jesus was. So it's nothing also from what he was seeing. But it stopped him from doing what he was doing, whether that was just going to Jesus, whether that was just looking at Jesus, whether that was not being afraid, whatever it was or all combination of those things, it stopped him from doing those things and started him doing something else. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. That, that moved him into place of fear and began to sink. He was not sinking before then. He was walking. He was going just like he was supposed to, just like Jesus was. He was in faith. And then he wasn't. 
he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out saying, Lord, save me. He might have been better saying, I am not afraid. <laughs> but he didn't say that. <laughs> he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus decided to let him stew in his unbelief for a little while. I mean, isn't that what you would have done? I mean, I'm right here. I can save him anytime I want to. <laughs> yeah, I want you to get a taste of that unbelief. I want you to really get a get a get the flavor of this fear, so that you don't do it again, because it'll kill you. Are, you. are you there yet? Should I help you out yet? Or should we still let this continue to go on? Now, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, and again, the same word is used immediately that we saw in the other spots. He didn't wait, he didn't let any time go by. He immediately, he reached down and he caught him. Because he's sinking, he's going down into the water. He can swim. I mean, if we're not walking on water right now, we can swim. We already know Peter can swim. He jumped off the boat to swim to shore. I know he can swim. So swim. I mean, you're not dying. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Those were his words. He had more words in saving him than he did in calling him out of the boat. Remember the words he used to come off the boat? Come. Come. And a lot of times in the Greek anyway, you see one word and you get three or four words in the translation. But of course in this one, it's one word in the Greek and it's one word in English. Come. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Hmm. Now, unbelief in the Word of God is generally the same as as it is in English. You put a negative in front of belief. And that's what uh, you generally see when you see the word unbelief. Doubt, though, is the word diacrino. To discern, to judge, to make a distinction. It's just not so much the weakness of faith, but the lack of it. When it's in a noun form, not just the verb form, but when it's in a noun form, there's a lack of certainty that often leads to, to irresolution, a lack of trust, a point about which one is uncertain or skeptical, and the condition of being unsettled or unresolved. In Matthew 16, 3, we see this. In the morning... You know it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern, and that's our word there, the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. In Romans 4.20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. The word there, he did not waver. The word there is waver is our same word. You see, faith will get you started, but doubt can keep you from finishing. And that's what happened with Peter. Faith got him started. Doubt kept him from finishing. 
If he stayed in the area of faith, he would have been all right. If he was in unbelief, he never would have gone out. But see, he was in faith. And so for doubt to kick in, doubt usually kicks in when your faith has already been there. Faith gets you started. But you got to finish it in faith too. Don't quit. Doubt will get you, get you going in that. And again, it gets you just be undecided. Skeptical about something. To tend to disbelieve or to distrust or to regard as unlikely. Have you ever been sure when you started, but then as you're going on through, whatever it is you're going on through, you become a little undecided. A little skeptical. Well, I was sure that this is what God wanted me to do, but no, I'm not so sure. See, I started in faith, but now doubt has kicked in. Peter started in faith, walking on the water. <laughs> I wonder if anybody ever came up to Peter during his uh, ministry while he, before, they, uh, before he died and was a martyr. Do you think anybody ever came up to Peter and said, Are you the guy who walked on the water? <laughs> Could you imagine having that? Are you the guy who walked... Of course, it'd be some smart ugly kid coming up there. Are you the guy who walked on the water? And Peter, yeah, that was me. Why'd you sink? <laughs> Can you see a little kid just doing that? Why'd you sink? Now, he, Jesus says to him there, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So he had a little faith. Get this picture. Apparently, if you have little faith, you can walk on water. If you operate within the realm of what you're supposed to do. But it is a devil's tactic to try and get you outside of the realm of faith and into another place. And so for Peter... He's there walking on the water. We can't have him walking on the water. People are going to hear about this story. They're going to think they can walk on water. We can't have people walking on water all over the place. And so he begins to throw some thoughts into the mind of Peter. People don't walk on water. Look at these waves. These waves are going to take you out. Look at that one coming right now. It's coming at you. See, when you're looking at a wave, you're looking at a wave that is coming. It's coming your way. You don't care about the ones that are going away. Who cares about those? All we care about is the one that's coming my way. That wave, it's got your name on it, Peter. (laughs) And it's coming right at you. When it gets here, it's taking you down. Now, I don't know if you faced one wave and successfully wrote that out or if that was the first wave that came his way well whatever it was that wave is coming here it comes I'm out there I'm walking on water I am walking on water and I'm looking at Jesus but something caught my eye over here instead of looking at Jesus I'm looking at this wave this wave's coming my way 
I mean, it's coming right at me. It's not going to go hit to the hit the boat. It's coming right at me. What's going to happen when that wave comes upon me? I don't know what's going to happen. Well, you didn't know what was going to happen when you got out of the boat. You're walking on water. See, the, what we should do, not be afraid. I don't know what's going to happen when that wave gets here. That's a shame. That's a nice pretty wave. It's going to die. Because I'm not going anywhere. That's how we should hit it. I don't know what happens when that wave comes. I either go through it, or that wave dies, or it goes over me. I don't have to be concerned about that. That's, that's for him. I'm just here to walk on water and go over to Jesus. Now, when you think about this, does Jesus need him to come to him? He's not going to help Jesus. Jesus is not lonely. Doesn't need company. Peter just wanted to do it. Did the devil ever make you feel guilty because you just wanted to do something? What's, what spiritual purpose do you have for doing that? You can't believe God for that. There's no spiritual purpose in that. There's no spiritual purpose in him walking on the water either. They could have just sat there and waited and Jesus would have come, got in the boat, and they would have gone on their way. Everything would have been fine. Oh, you of little faith. So you see, he had some faith. He didn't say he didn't have any faith. If he had no faith, he wouldn't have been walking on the water. Why did you doubt? How many things have we taken on and we started out in faith, we started out right, started out in the right direction. But then this doubt crept in over here and this doubt, this thought, and we begin to think, hmm, well, I am getting older. Well, I don't know if I should really expect God to do that for me. Well, I mean, what would be the purpose for the kingdom of God for that to happen? Hmm. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Now, I'm thinking when I read this, if we could have ceased the wind all along, why don't we just do that? Why not just cease the wind? We don't have any any issues at all. Nobody gets in the fair. Nobody gets wet. The disciples would have gotten there in plenty of time to do whatever they wanted to do. Hmm. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Hmm. I don't know. Does Jesus stop the wind? He doesn't speak any words that we know of. Does the enemy start these things up? Feel like, well, I guess we're not going to get anywhere and just quit. I don't know. He doesn't say why the wind ceased. It just says when he got in the boat, it quit. So it had to stop by... Something on one end or the other. 
Because storms like that don't just suddenly stop. Gradually stop. They don't usually suddenly stop. But he goes on from here. They cross over. They come to the land of Gennesaret. And uh, the people over there recognize them. And they start bringing out all these sick people and all the people who needed a touch from Jesus. And they debate them. Just let me touch the hem of your garment. Just If I just touch the hem of your garment, I'll be healed. This is what the woman of issue of blood, when she heard about these things, that's where she got her faith from. As many as touched his garment, they were made perfectly well. So, in this story, where are the boundaries? Well, let's first off take a look at what's outside the boundaries. Because the devil is trying to get you in your area of life, he's trying to get you to step outside of the boundaries. That's what he wants you to do. Step outside the boundaries. He does not want you to take all the area inside the, the boundary either. Remember we talked about the land of Israel? Where it was and how much of it they had. They did not have very much of what God said was theirs. Now God gave them that little part first. And I think the plan was for them to expand and to, and to go on. But they never did expand. They never did go on anymore. And the devil is just great. He does not want you to expand your territory and take the area that God has given you. And he also wants to kick you out of the places you're at. That's what he did with Israel. They didn't have all the border territory. He didn't care about that. He wanted to get them out what little bit they had. And he kept sending enemies over there to try and do that. But there's a lot of areas that God has given us as far as boundaries, and we aren't doing them. Then the Word of God say, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. How many of you, now don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you have come up with excuses why you shouldn't lay hands on the sick? Well, I don't really know any sick people. Well, it doesn't really work for me. They come up with all kinds of reasons. Doesn't the Word of God say to go out and compel them to come in? Doesn't come out, go out there and give us the ministry of reconciliation? Go out there and share Jesus with people? And yet how many times, well, I don't think any of my friends want to go to church with me. Maybe the Word of God comes up in us. Go share the Word of God with that person over there. They don't look like they really want to hear. I mean, they look like they're in a hurry. See, the devil's keeping me out of taking the territory I'm supposed to be taking. But he wants me to get out in the territory I'm not supposed to be at. He wants me to think, I have no power to speak the name of Jesus. I have no ability to answer any questions that anybody has about the gospel. And that no one would be interested in the God that I serve. That's what he has sold us on. And so we take our areas that we've been given and we stay in this little tiny hut. I'm comfortable here. I'm good here. I don't need all that other stuff. I'm happy. Yeah, but God wants you to come on out over here and do these things. Yeah, but I'm happy right here. Just right here. Don't be content taking less than what God has said. But... Devil's going to try and get you outside the boundaries, which is what he did with Peter. So what were the boundaries? Well, I'll have to give you one of them. Considering anything else except what Jesus said. That's the first, first area of boundary. You are not to consider anything else except what Jesus says. Remember Jarius. When he came to get Jesus. My little daughter is sick. She's on the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her that she may be healed. 
And Jesus comes with them. And on the way, people meet him. I'm not trouble with the teacher anymore. Your little girl is dead. We talked about the state of mind of those particular people. That they were probably a bit aggressive against him. Probably weren't real kind in the way they brought these things out. And Jesus speaks to Jairus and says, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Don't let what other people come in and tell you come into your consideration. Jesus was stopping that. Don't, other, don't let other people come in and tell you, tell you stuff. Now I'll go into some of our areas that you know, people have always asked the most, most questions about. But um, uh, you know, if you're trying to, to lose weight, gain weight, whatever it might be, you're trying to change your body type from what it is. Don't let people tell you that the way you are is not necessarily the way you're supposed to be. I had people tell me I was too skinny for years. And for a little bit, I believed them. But then I finally figured out, you know what? I am what I am. And I feel good at this weight. And I don't let people make me feel bad because I wasn't 160, 170 pounds. In college, I was 145, right on the nose, 145 pounds. I did not vary. Did not change. It was, it was right there. If you go to the doctor, they'll tell you, you're a little light. I'm light for you. I'm fine for me. Sometimes people say, you're a little heavy. You know, some people's frame naturally leans, lends itself to be heavier. This is what your frame is. You're fighting your body to change it. I'm fighting my body to try and put any more weight on. I don't want to fight my body. I like my body. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that just, you know, you, you, you can't ever carry on extra weight or it's never healthy for you. But, but do what's in your, in your spirit. When your spirit comes up and says, lose it or gain it, listen to what Jesus said. Don't listen to what the doctor said. Listen to what Jesus said. Don't tell you about, about other things too. Well, I think you ought to be taking some aspirin. Just every day, take a little dose or take a little bit of this every day. Just a little dose. Help you out. What, did your spirit tell you to do that? If your spirit didn't tell you to do it, don't do it. Don't consider anything else except what Jesus said. Jesus said, come. The waves are trying to get him to consider something else. And they were successful. Then he sank. That's the first one. Considering anything else except what Jesus said. You go back to the Word. Remember we talked about mission and permission? Most people are looking for permission. I want to be able to do this. Can I do this? Can I get permission to do this instead of being on a mission? What's your mission? What has God told you to do? Stay with the mission. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus tell you to do? You go out there and you do it. Here's the second one. Looking to anything but what Jesus said. Don't look to anything else. Except what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Don't look at anything else. I don't need anything else. I need what Jesus said to me. What did Jesus say to me? Jesus said, whatever it is he said, that's what you do. You, you do, do what Jesus said. 
Stay within the bounds of what he's, what did he say to do? He said, I can do that. Well, I don't think you can anymore. Yeah, but Jesus said, I can. Don't consider other people's words. Don't look to other people. Look to Jesus. Word of God says, look to Jesus because he's the author and finisher. He started it, he'll end it. See, Jesus started, he was the author of Jesus, of Peter walking on the water. But Jesus did not finish it. Something else did. Don't let anything else finish it. Third, this is outside your boundaries, doubting anything that Jesus said. Now, it seems easy on the, on the surface. But if Jesus said, do not be afraid, can I do that? If Jesus said, don't worry, don't fear, don't have anxiety about anything. If he said that, well, I don't think I can do that. I mean, you just don't know my personality. I'm just a worry wart. I just worry about everything. Don't doubt what Jesus says. Don't be doubting anything that Jesus said. If Jesus said it, it's true. You know, I, I have people in my life who don't believe what Jesus says. I have people in my life who do that. You have people in your life. But they're not very close to me. There's pretty much a wall up between me and them. Because they'll say some things that I don't need to hear. And so when they speak those things, I'm a wall. It just bounces right off of me. I don't need to make them change anything they're doing. Don't have to to do that. It's just a wall. It bounces off me. See, I don't, I doubt them. I don't doubt my Savior. If they speak it to me, doubt them. Somebody comes up to you and says, you're ugly. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> Say, man, you're conceited. Nope. I'm in faith. I just believe what Jesus said. Jesus didn't call me ugly. Man, you are just good for nothing. I doubt that. I don't believe it. Start doubting what other people say and keep believing what Jesus said. That's how we ought to be. Somebody comes up to you and says something against the word, I doubt it. Say it with a smile too. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> That'll get them really mad. Here's the fourth one. Adding to anything that Jesus said. Don't add anything to it. Well, maybe Jesus meant this. when he, No, what did he say? What did he say? Come. That's it. He didn't say, come and watch them waves. He didn't say that. I cannot add to what Jesus said. Jesus said something very simple. Come. That's it. So don't consider anything else except what Jesus said. Don't look to anything else except what Jesus said. Don't don't be doubting anything that Jesus said and don't be adding anything to what Jesus said. If you do these things, any one of these things, according to what Jesus is showing us in this story, 
is putting faith in the arena of doubt. Remember what Jesus said? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? If you start considering these other things, looking to other things, doubting what Jesus said or adding to anything that Jesus said, if you start doing those things, you are taking one who was a person in faith and moving him into the realm of the doubt. You're changing arenas. Faith is staying in that arena, looking and listening to Jesus only. I'm not going over there. When you stop doing what Jesus has said to do, you have moved yourself out of the realm, out of the arena of faith. Your victory is in the arena of faith. As long as you stay there, the victory is yours. But you start moving out. You start getting beyond your borders. Beyond the place where you're supposed to be. You can be just like Peter. You started out fine. You started out good. You started out in faith. You were walking on the water. You were doing what people see as impossible. How many people do you think told Peter, I don't think you really walked on the water. I think you dreamed it. He didn't dream it. There was other witnesses there. You could probably just say, I didn't dream it. Go ask John. He doesn't like me anyway. (laughs) He wouldn't tell you if it was true if it wasn't. Don't leave the realm of faith. There have been some areas where you have started in the arena of faith. And then you start getting wet. You start to sink. But just know this, God does not look upon you and say, well, isn't that special? Why don't you just live in that for a little while? He doesn't do it. He comes along immediately and He helps you out. He doesn't let you go down. He'll help you. He'll pull you back up. Take you back in the boat. You can do this again. God has spoken words to you. He does not always clearly define the borders. But if you meditate on what he says, you will find them. Peter heard the word, come. He had asked to come to Jesus. Everything else outside of coming to Jesus is outside the realm of where he's supposed to be. Jesus doesn't have to find that. He doesn't have to tell it to you. Anything outside of that realm is wrong. When the waves come up, he didn't say think about the waves. He didn't say consider the waves. He didn't say develop a strategy for when the waves come upon you. He just said, come. God may have simply given you some very simple instructions. But as you meditate on them and as you mull over them, you will find out where your borders are. I am not to go beyond here. But I have all this area in here. The goal of the devil is to get you dissatisfied with where your borders are. And get you to anticipate going in these other areas. So I want you, 
Come on out over here. You, you don't want to be in there. Remember when the Word of God said, be faithful with what is another man's before you become faithful with what is your own? You know another way of saying that? Stay within the borders of what is another person's ministry because only then can I trust you with the borders of what is your own. And the whole time we've been there, we think, well, I've been serving. I've been serving. I'm in another ministry. I've been serving. He doesn't care about how much time. He cares about how much time are you spending in the border of where you are. How much time do you keep trying to get out over here? And get out over here. And get out over here. And come over here to this area. Well, I'm not happy doing this. We don't like just being Levites who bring the sacrifices. We want to be Levites who bring the fire. Remember what happened in that story. Got outside of their borders. Don't get outside of what God has called you to do. As we told you before, what he asked, what the devil will do first is to get you, in order to get you to be dissatisfied with what it is that you're doing, he first has to get you to covet something that's not yours. To desire something outside of your realm. And if he can get you to do that, he'll lure you out into another area. And that's where we get into the arena of doubt. And in that realm, we lose. But you stay in faith. And you win. Just understand, he does not like you being in the area of faith and he will send everything he can to get you to move off of that area of faith. He will send people to mess with your character, to put you down, to fight against everything that you are trying to do. To stand in your way. To make people think that what you're trying to do is wrong. To make people think wrongly about what it is that you're doing that is good. This is what he will do. He has done it all through the centuries. And he will do it. Don't be surprised when he does it for you. He will do it. He will try it. But he will fail. If you stay in the arena of faith. Peter would have kept on walking on the water to come to Jesus. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that even if we are people of little faith, we can do great things like walking on water. If we will stay in the area of faith, and if we only have one word from our Master, if we focus on that one word and we do what is in that one word, power follows us. When we go out into this world and we have the word to, to be in the ministry of reconciliation, to bring the unsaved into the kingdom of God. If we have that command from God, then I have been empowered to do it. The enemy wants to think I have no power, but I have been empowered to do it. I thank you, Father, whatever word that you have spoken to us, whether it be that we are the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and the enemy comes along and tries to make us think that we are failures, that we are sinners, that we are no good. Father, we want to meditate on your word, stay in your word for the purpose of finding out what are the borders of where I am. Because when I find out the borders of where I am supposed to be and where I am not supposed to be, 
life is very entertaining. But when I keep going outside of where I'm supposed to be, life is frustrating. Life is a series of defeats. And I keep getting wet. But that's not your plan. That's not your purpose. I thank you for the things that you teach us in your word as we meditate on it this week. That we will overcome. We will be the victors that you have told us to be. We will walk and not be afraid. We may see the things that are coming towards us, but we will not shake with fear. We will not anticipate defeat. No, we know. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Walk in the direction that he said to go. And power will follow. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.